Good morning. It's good to see each and every one of you this morning for visiting with us. Certainly we are appreciative of your presence. We invite you back at any opportunity that you might have. If you have any questions or concerns about anything that you have seen or heard here, please find someone and I know that they will do all that they can to give you an answer for the things uh, that concern you. This past week, Joey and I and our wives had the opportunity to take about 10 of our young people to the Memphis area to be a part of the Foundations Bible Camp uh, that is hosted there by the Memphis School of Preaching. Certainly, it was a wonderful week, an opportunity for uh, these young people to be in classes. You know, most most Bible camps uh, throughout the summer are certainly have Bible in them, um, but they also sprinkle in a lot of other activities. But this Bible camp is unlike any other camp that I have ever been a part of in that uh, these young people are in classes from 8 a.m. to about 3.30 p.m. Uh, every single day. Um, and then they have some activities in the evening. So this truly is a Bible-focused, God-centered camp. Um, and the young people uh, benefit greatly from that, but not only them, also the staff as well. I know that um, Joey and I have talked already, and certainly we are both appreciative of the fact of being able to be there and for ourselves to have grown and to benefited from being there with all the other staff and hearing all the other lessons uh, as well. And I, I won't say too much more about it. Joey's going to talk a little bit about that uh, this evening. And then also uh, two of our young men uh, who were there who delivered lessons are actually going to deliver their lessons uh, this evening uh, before you. So I certainly hope that you have plans to come back, not only to worship God, but also to support uh, these young men and the great work that they are doing. But certainly it was a wonderful week. I say all of that also to say this, though, there's no tired, like coming home from camp tired either. Um, so I hope that the tire that I feel on the inside of me is not being portrayed on the outside for you all to see and to experience. So I hope that we can get through this uh, together. Now, as we consider the first day of the week, it really ought to relate in our minds to being the most important day of the entire week for us. More important than Monday and you kicking off your work week well or kicking off your week well and getting accomplished the things that you need to do and starting your week in the way that you hope to. It's more important than Friday, which marks the end of a work week and the kicking off of a weekend, perhaps maybe going to do things that you've been looking forward to doing all week. But we're talking about Sunday. The first day of the week, a day that has been set aside and authorized for us as New Testament New Testament Christians uh, to worship God in a, in a way that has been prescribed from Him through His Word, to glorify our Creator, to glorify our Savior, and to give Him the praise that certainly is only deserving uh, of Him and to Him. You know, when we talk about singing, singing might possibly be one of the most enjoyable acts of worship for us as Christians. Now, before you riot, understand what I'm saying when I say that. I understand what worship is all about. And you, you know that I, that I understand that. I've delivered lessons, and I know Joey has delivered lessons time and time again. We have talked about the importance of worship and who the audience and the aim of worship is, the aim of being God, the audience being God, and you and I simply just being participants in worship. However, when done the right way, specifically talking about the act of singing, we do benefit from it, don't we? Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19 talks about that I'm, when we sing that we are speaking to who? We are speaking to one another. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 tells me that when I sing, I am teaching and admonishing who? 
one another. The idea of singing, the act of singing is one from which you and I can greatly benefit if done in the right way. And if we have the right attitudes, we can enjoy it if we do it in the way that God has prescribed for us to do so. And how thankful you and I should be week in and week out for the song leaders that we have that lead us in singing every single week here at the Roanoke Church of Christ. I say all of that to say this. Oftentimes when we think about the songs that we sing, especially our, what we might say, maybe our newer camp songs that we sing, oftentimes those songs are ones that are pulled directly from Scripture. They use verses that are given to us through God's Word, a melody and music is put to them, and then we are able to sing them in such a way that encourages and admonishes us. Songs like, The Lord is my shepherd, Great is thy faithfulness, Holy, 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 Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, etc. But there's another song that I think is one that is well known, at least from the area where I grew up, that is pulled from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, that is essentially verbatim from what the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Galatia. The idea of living a crucified life is what I want to talk about this morning. And I know that we've talked about many times this year already and going into last year about our commitment to God and to His Word and to His church. So please don't tune me out as we begin this morning just simply because you think we're going to talk about the same things because we're not. We're going to talk about some things perhaps that maybe we haven't covered as it pertains to this idea of living a life for our God in heaven above. Five ideas from this one verse, five things I want to pull out that will help us live a crucified life, a life that is in accordance with the scriptures. Here's number one. As we talk about living a crucified life, you and I must understand how personal this truly is. We have to understand how personal it is to live a life that is in accordance with the word of Almighty God. Notice as you read Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, think about the personal pronouns that are used within just this one verse. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Seven different times a personal pronoun is used by the Apostle Paul signifying the personal nature that is involved with all of this, truth be told, on both sides of living a life that is crucified for Christ. Personal in that, what it took Jesus Christ to give his life for us while he was here on this earth, but personal also in that it has everything to do with you and me. In fact, it has always had everything to do with us, hasn't it? You go back to the very beginning of creation. You go back to Genesis chapter 3 and you read about the fall of man. You keep going in history and you read about man going round and round and round in this cycle with God where they go to God and they follow after him, but then they turn away. They go after pagan and foreign gods. They need to be delivered, so God sends them to be delivered from the bondage under which they have gone. They come out of the cycle and they go back to God, and then what happens? It all goes around and around again. The idea of man Man always being in need of God. Mankind always being in need of a Savior for someone to come and to bring them up out of the ash and the rubble that we so constantly find ourselves in. We're talking about Jesus Christ being the Savior, coming to this earth and being that sacrifice for each of us. It has always been about us. In fact, being a Christian is incredibly personal because of what we alluded to just a moment ago, 
because of what has been done for us on our behalf. Something that you and I could never do for ourselves, and yet it was done by Jesus Christ coming to this earth. You think about Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, where the apostle Paul said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Paul says, look, the mindset that Christ had, brothers and sisters, you and I need it too. The fact that Christ willingly left his home in glory, willingly left the side of the Father to come to this earth, to become what he created, to live a life on earth, and to be treated in the absolute worst way possible to endure the things that you and I have never had to endure, to go through trials and tribulations, temptations and struggles, to be tempted and to be brought so low and to die one of the worst deaths ever known to mankind. All for what? For you and for me. Christ went through everything that he went through. He endured everything that he did because of us. You see, Jesus could have said, no, I'm, I, I don't want to do that. Jesus could have said, God, I don't want to go to earth. I don't, I don't want to become man. I don't want to have to endure all of the things that I know I'm going to have to go through. I don't want to have to go through the ridicule and the mockery and the torture. I don't want to be mistreated and be betrayed by the people that I love. But he didn't say those things. In fact, he did just the opposite. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, Jesus there in the garden said, Not my will, but thine. Despite Christ's holiness, despite his deity, despite being the second person of the Godhead, God, Jesus Christ still came to this earth and was still the sacrifice for mankind. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. I am. Paul says, I am making the decision for me and for myself to be who I'm supposed to be. This is what I am going to do. Much like Joshua, on behalf of his family in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, standing up before all the people, saying, I don't care what you do. You can turn and go to wherever God that you want. But he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm not living for myself. I'm not living for, with my interests and my own desires at the forefront of my mind. I am only living for Christ, and it is he who lives in me. The world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, I've pushed it all out of my life. I think about the devil, the one whom we are studying this entire quarter. I'm not allowing him to infiltrate and to influence my life because I now live my life by faith in Christ because of what he has done for me, Paul says, look, this is personal to me and for me. You see, when something is personal, I think it brings to mind uh, something, an idea, because I think it shows a sense of belonging, doesn't it? When you talk about being something being personal, the idea that if you have ever created something or you have ever built something, if you have ever put time or energy or effort into something, there's a sense of pride that you carry around with it, isn't, isn't there? As it concerns what it is, because you had a part to play in bringing whatever it is to existence, and you have helped form and fashion this thing into whatever it is today. You have this attachment to it, and you're proud of it. And you're not ashamed of it because of how personal it is to you. You see, as Christians, in the same way, we belong to something, don't we? 
not to this world, not to the ruler of this world, certainly not to our things or to the monetary possessions that we might have in this life. We don't belong to our desires and our worldly wants and wishes in this life, but as Christians, brothers and sisters, we belong to the Almighty. Psalm 100 and verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Notice this last part. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. First Corinthians chapter 6, beginning of verse 19, Paul said, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Brothers and sisters, we are owned by God. Not that God can make us do certain things. We've talked about free will before. We know that we are free moral agents and we can make whatever choices that we want in this life. But there was a price that was paid for us, that being the life of our Lord. And because of that, a death is also required from us, not physically, but certainly in the way that we live our lives as it concerns the world. We have to understand living a crucified life is extremely, extremely personal. But then number two, I also think about this, the fact that there is this partnership into which you and I have entered as we are striving to live a crucified life. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Obviously not speaking literally, but perhaps maybe a reference, or it is a reference rather, to being dead to the law. You read there in the context, right? The law of Moses, the old dispensation under which he was no longer living. Paul had an understanding that he wasn't made alive uh, or, or, or through the law of Moses. He knew that he couldn't find salvation. He couldn't gain that which he could have through Jesus Christ and through his perfect death if he kept going back to the old law, ultimately, because he knew that it couldn't remove the guilt of sin. You read a couple of passages, Acts chapter 13, beginning at verse 39, and by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things, which, notice this, you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, Make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Paul's talking about the old law. The fact that it was just simply a shadow of the new covenant under which you and I now live today. The new law. That which is perfect. That which is exactly what we need. It showcases the wisdom, the foreknowledge of God. Understanding all of these things that would take place. Christ died, the old law nailed to the cross, the new law, the last will and testament of Jesus Christ, the law under which we now abide, doesn't go in, didn't go into effect until Christ's death. Read Hebrews chapter 9. But now that Christians, or rather, now that Christ has died, what does Paul say? Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. You see, when we think about Jesus, we ought to think about perfection. When we think about Jesus Christ, we think about our Savior. We think about our God. We think about power and majesty, holiness. When we think about Jesus, we ought to think about our example. As it pertains to our conduct and to our actions, 1 Peter 2 and verse 22, relaying to us the idea of Jesus living a perfect and a sinless life. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, relaying the idea that we are to imitate him and to follow in his footsteps. That must be our goal 
for which we strive above all else to do that which is pleasing to God in this life. When it comes to us as Christians, we are able to have the most unique relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus Christ is our King, according to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15. We understand Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16 that Jesus Christ is our Lord. John 14 and verse 6 tells us that He is our way. He is the truth, the life. He is the Lamb. John chapter 1 and verse 29, Jesus Christ is so far above us and has done so much for us that we could not do for ourselves. And yet, as the song says, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus, our Lord who is our King, our Lord who is our God, our Lord who is so much more than we has still allowed Himself to be our friend. Us as mankind, as small and as lowly and as little as we are, are able to enjoy an intimate relationship, a unique friendship with Jesus Christ. How remarkable is that? To know that Christ, our Creator, wants this partnership, this, this friendship, this relationship with us. And here's the interesting thing. When you think about a partnership, it, it, it takes effort, doesn't it, from both sides of the parties. It takes effort from both sides, putting forth the time and the energy and the effort in order to make the end result be what it needs to be. What is the end result of this so-called partnership that we're able to enjoy? Well, you and I know the end result is ultimately salvation, isn't it? The end result is having one's sins washed away and having the opportunity to spend your eternity in heaven. And so we think about the idea of effort on both sides. What is Jesus brought to the table for you and for me. He brought his sinless, his perfect, and his holy life that he lived on this earth and that he sacrificed for us. Without what Jesus Christ has done, there would be no possible way, would there, for you and I to gain that end result. Well, because of Jesus, the end result is not just a fantasy, is it? It's not just a tale that is old as time. It's not just a tale that has been passed down from generation to generation, but rather it is truly a reality. The idea of being able to spend an eternity with God in heaven is a very real possibility to those of us who are faithful Christians. Jesus Christ has done his part. Jesus Christ has paved the way, and now the rest is left up to us, which begs the question, do we live faithful lives? Do we uphold our end of this partnership? John chapter 12 and verse 26, Jesus said, If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Brothers and sisters, what a blessing it is to have a friend, to have a partner like Jesus Christ. But then number three, when I read Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, verse 20, as I consider this idea of living a crucified life, I cannot help but think about the word priority. I cannot help but think about the word priority, and I won't say too much about this because I think sometimes you can say so much about something to the point to where sometimes people just begin to tune you out. I certainly hope that wouldn't be the case this morning, so let me just cover this very briefly uh, th this morning. I encourage you to go to Luke chapter 9 for just a moment. Luke chapter 9. I want to look at a couple of verses here. And I want you to consider what Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 9. 
This is what I have often called, and I'm sure other people have called this as well. I've called it the five D's of discipleship. And it's kind of funny that John Hafner the other night talked about how sometimes in your sermons you give, you give other outlines of other sermons. Well, here's, here's an outline for you if you ever want to teach or preach one. Luke chapter 9. Don't do it before me, though, because I haven't preached it here, so I might preach it here, and then you can preach it somewhere else. So let me do it first. Luke chapter 9, notice beginning in verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone, notice this, desires to come after me, let him, number two, deny himself, take up his cross, number three, daily, and follow me. Verse 24, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. There's your fourth one. That's the word death. Verse 25, for what, profits, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he himself, number five, is destroyed or lost? Desire, denial, daily death and destruction, the desire, the idea that, that, that I must have this wanting, this wishing to go after, to, to chase after, and to live for Jesus Christ. So many times we talk about the word desire. There are negative connotations with it because we often talk about desiring the world and desiring everything that this world has thrown after you. But in this context, you and I are to desire Jesus Christ himself. But then number two, Denial, a denial not just of the world and the devil, but a denial of myself, a denial of, in this particular instance, we talk about the word desire, desiring the world, deny those things, deny yourself and live for Jesus Christ. But then number three, daily, the idea that this is not just a one-time occurrence, is it? It doesn't just happen when you come down the front aisle and you are baptized into, into, the, into water, representing Jesus' blood, washing your sins away. That's not the only time that you do this, but rather it is something that happens with every single choice and decision that you make. In other words, this has become a lifestyle for you. But then number four, death. The idea not that, it, that it's physical, but a death of the flesh, a death of yourself and the world, a world lived for self and how you have turned your life around now living with Jesus Christ in mind. But then number five, destruction, the end result. The end result of someone who has all of his stock, all of his worth in this world, and who is only living with this world in mind, but then he loses that which is the most valuable and most important thing that has ever been given to him, that being his soul. Look, we can claim and profess all that we want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is for every single person, starting behind me and going forward this morning. We can profess his name with our lips, we can say that we love him. We can talk a big game. We can hold other people around us accountable for their own actions. We can go to worship. We can be present among our brethren. We can show up when we need to. We can look like we are living the life of a Christian. But brothers and sisters, until we truly realize the priority that Christ must play within our lives, how because when he is the priority in our lives, everything else begins to be pushed down and become non-important, how there cannot be a shared allegiance with all of these otherworldly and material things, then and only then, brothers and sisters, can we truly become like Paul when he said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm sure that you've heard people say before, look, just do what makes you happy. Just do whatever puts a smile on your face, whatever puts joy in your heart. That is what you should be doing. That is the way that our world lives their lives to this very day. But is that not a toxic way to live? This whole idea goes back to the idea of having your own truth, doesn't it? Having your own standard, just be happy. 
just do whatever you want to do and live happily ever after. But we don't live our lives, do we, brothers and sisters, to make ourselves happy, do we? Because we're not called to do that as Christians. We're not called to do that, but rather we are called to be followers of God, to be, not to be pleasers of men, not to be pleasers of ourselves, but we are to glorify God and not ourselves. It's not always easy. It's not always popular. It's not always that which is effortless and painless. But we don't do it for us. We do it for God because he must be our priority. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, Paul said, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. It must be our goal to be well-pleasing to God in this life. Why? You continue reading in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to that which he has done, whether good or bad. One day we are all going to stand before God on the day of judgment and answer for our priorities in this life. Can you say on the day of judgment, when God asks you, hypothetically, we don't know what this is going to look like, but if he asks you what the most important thing in your life was, would you be able to say that I was living for thee and not for me? Every decision I make and made, it magnified God, who he is, and what he did for me. I hope that each of us would be able to say that. God must be my priority. But the number four, as I continue reading through Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, living a crucified life, I also understand the word purpose. I understand the word purpose. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of Almighty God. What is our purpose in this life? You know, a lot of research and study has gone in to the four greatest questions that people have ever asked in this life. People have tried to answer these questions for years and for years, and many times they have come up short because they have looked in all of the wrong places. The four questions, who am I? Where do I come from? What is my purpose? And where am I going? And I think to some degree, even for us as Christians, maybe at times in our lives, we wonder those things. Maybe we wonder what the answer is to those questions as we try to navigate our way through this difficult world. While you're here on this earth, you have a job. You go to school. You, you, maybe you're married. Maybe you have children. You live your life and you do things that really most people in our world do today, and they're not uncommon. But what is your purpose what is the reason for you being here, for you living on this earth, doing the things that you do and living the way that you live your life? Why do you make the choices that you make? You see, the apostle Paul knew exactly what his purpose was, didn't he? He knew exactly what it was that was expected of him while he was here on this earth, which is so remarkable because we think about who Paul was before he became that of a New Testament Christian, because before we have Paul, we have Saul, someone who was formerly a persecutor and killer of Christians, but who turned his life around and who is now able to write about the sacrifice of Jesus and his resurrection and how that affects our daily lives and what we ought to do while we are here on this earth. You see, he found his purpose through being alive that being alive through Jesus Christ and having a living and obedient faith. You read through Hebrews chapter 11, where you referenced this passage a couple of weeks ago, how within these particular verses, it shows us individual after individual who displayed tremendous faith. But then we think about how they got to that point and what they were doing. And you go back to the book of Romans, and you remember in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, a verse many of us can quote, so then faith comes by what? By hearing 
and hearing by the word of Almighty God. People ask all the time, how do I get a stronger faith? How do I better my faith? How do I have a more active and trusting faith? What do I do when life gets harder and I don't know where to go? I don't know where to turn. I know that I have a purpose. I know that I'm supposed to be here. But how do I do what I'm supposed to do? How do I do what God requires of me? How do I have the right kind of faith? So then faith comes by hearing. Look, when we talk about the Bible, we understand that the good book is our lifeline, isn't it? It is that which shows us what we must do and how we are to live our lives, that when everything else comes crashing down around us and we don't know where to go or have anywhere else to turn, this book is what keeps us firmly grounded and foundational in this life. It is that which God uses to communicate to us. There's no direct operation anymore in our day and age, is there? God doesn't place things or thoughts within our hearts, but rather he uses his book, and that is how we're able to know what it is that we must do. Think about a child. When a child is hurting, when a child is suffering, they are experiencing something difficult in their lives, what do they do? They cling to their parents, don't they? They go to their parents for, for, for comfort and for consoling because they have placed their faith in them that they are going to do what is necessary and best for them. Well, the same for us, the same is for us as Christians. In fact, that's how it should be with God. He is our Father and He cares for us. And we must be living a life of active and living faith that is placed in him alone. And yet, for some reason, as adults, oftentimes we tend to place our faith in everything but Almighty God, don't we? You want your faith to grow. You want to find your purpose within your life. You want to be able to say as a Christian, the life that I'm living right now, I live by faith in Jesus Christ. If you want to be able to say that, then you cling ever so closely to his word. And when you do that, you'll find your purpose in this life. But then very quickly, number five. When I think about living a crucified life, I understand the word purchased. I understand the word purchased. Notice the ending of this verse, who loved me and gave himself for me. We talked a couple of moments ago already about our relationship with Jesus Christ. We understand that, yes, Jesus Christ is our creator. Yes, he is Lord and King. He is our Savior. And in some sense, he is our partner. And yet through all of that accompanied with the shedding of his precious blood, there was a purchase that was made. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, notice the ending, which he has purchased with his own blood. The elders of the Lord's church are the immediate recipients of this particular verse, but within this exhortation, it's mentioned how the church of Jesus Christ is purchased, bought, and paid for with his own blood. We understand the church is the body. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, we understand the only way to get into that body is through baptism. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27, once you are there, then you too can be a recipient of all of the spiritual blessings that Jesus Christ gives to you. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, what a beautiful picture that is. To understand that you and I, though we have sinned, Romans 3 and verse 23, though at times we have separated ourselves from God, Isaiah 59 and verse 2, we talked about that a little bit in Bible class this morning. Though we are deserving of a spiritual death, Romans 6 and verse 23, despite all of that, there's still great hope, isn't there? There is still great hope for you and I as Christians, as individuals who, when we live a crucified life, are able to know that without a shadow of a doubt, our home is in heaven with God because we've been purchased by his precious son's blood. Maybe you're here this morning, perhaps you haven't made that commitment. Maybe you haven't made the decision 
to follow after God and to live your life for him, to live a crucified life. And perhaps maybe you want to make that change this morning. We would love nothing more for someone to respond, someone who is in need of the saving blood of Jesus Christ, to be baptized into water that's going to remiss your sins, knowing that you can wipe your slate clean and you can walk out these doors, knowing that you're on your way to heaven and that it is now time for you to live a life that you've been called to live through our study of the Word of God. Maybe you're here this morning, perhaps you are a Christian. Maybe you are someone who at one time made a commitment to live for Jesus Christ, but maybe it's been years and years since you've made that commitment, and perhaps maybe you have forgotten what it is to live a life for Christ. Maybe you are not living a crucified life anymore, and maybe you're living a life that is only for yourself and for the world. Know that you can change those things. You can repent of your sins. You can come back to him, have all of those things forgiven, and know that we'll do all that we can to help you and to encourage you. God will forgive you. We will forgive you. If you have a need this morning, won't you come? Together we stand and as we sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.